listen to us and learn. Lori got a diagnosis of terminal cancer and we're remembering the Lord. Lori and her thoughts and prayers, Charter Rose, they were remembering her, Allison Peterson for COVID, and Kim is in need of your prayer. And Reverend and Mrs. Cronin, I performed their wedding here a few months ago, and Mrs. Cronin is from Ukraine, and her mother's country land has been under devastation. Remember the from Odessa, and that was just recently taken over. And Jack and Helen Ryder, the ADOs by way of television regularly, the Laura Hobbin family and the Hanks family, certainly all the victims and those fleeing Ukraine. So let us turn to our praise song. And before we turn to Purple 405, just wave, wave this morning at Kathy Krause. She's a real regular one. She watches us regularly. They're a very faithful supporter of all of it, United Methodist Church, in which Kathy, Abby Berthy, and also Michael Bernard, who's, who's uh, currently up in, in North Dakota, right, Kathy? Mike's in? Yeah, so just recently came back from a long trip to Kathy, so 110.
this time we turn to our praise song, Seek Ye First, Purple Number 405. If you have any particular prayer requests, some have written to me and stopped me in the area where we've been shopping or so, and you watch us faithfully by way of television and tell us how great we are doing, and if there's some area we can improve on, also let us know that area of improvement. Our um, scripture reading be taken from Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13, was, was kind of a passage of scripture that really ties in with um, a mighty fortress is our God. The verse says, this world is filled with devils, and we're going to be talking about that a little later. Turn to our petition of prayer and intercession. This morning, we want to thank you and praise you for those who are celebrating birthdays and anniversaries, and there are those by the way television or radio or Facebook that would like to be remembered in prayer, um, do let us know. We remember Lori and Pat Bauer. Remember Char Rose and Allison Peterson. And I got a couple of death notifications just this morning that Allison's grandmother had passed away, which is uh, Alice People. I'll be doing that service at Fort Snelling this Thursday at 11.30. We do pray for the Peterson and people family, for the grief that they are going through, for Kim, for the Reverend and Mrs. Bruce Cronin family, as LeBeau, LeBeau Cronin now, grieves over the um, separation of her mother and loved ones back in Ukraine. We remember Jack and Helen Ryder and Helen's increasing ability to be able to communicate with Jack and with John. We pray for the Laura Hobbin family, the Hanks family, victims of those fleeing Ukraine. And I, of 
quite frequently get requests on how the United Methodists are doing. The United Methodists around the world, including Minnesota, have been waiting for a very long time to resolve the United Methodist Church, Church's long-time impasse over the LGBTQIA plus inclusion. General Conference 2020 is going to be the time to chart a way forward for the possibility of a breakaway or a split within the church where the more scriptural Wesleyan group would sever their ties with the more liberal United Methodist Church, likely through a very amicable separation from the denomination. Today's news of a further postponement of the gathering due to the COVID, supposedly COVID-19 pandemic, while expected still may elicit feelings of disappointment and frustrations that we continue in this prolonged season of waiting, waiting and wondering. As I've been notified by the Council of Bishops, they'll meet on March 8th to discuss implications of this postponement and how we can move forward as a church considering issues such as holding jurisdictional conferences for the election of bishops, the dis disaffiliation process and a, and a pathway to new expressions of Eodine Methodism in, in advance of, of the next general conference. Even this evening as we look at focus groups and, and we inquire on the Wesleyan and global Methodism, we pray that many will go by way of information and come to the shared. So many of you may be asking, so what do we do and what do we look like and what do we live in the meantime? We are called to engage in the ongoing work of creating a post-pandemic church. The Minnesota Annual Conference is clear about its vision that every congregation be a vital expression of the scriptural imperatives to grow in love of God and neighbor, to reach new people, and to heal a broken world. And in this aspirational vision adopted at the 2019 Annual Conference, we, we have identified four core values that guide our shared journey. We, we are rooted in Jesus Christ, Rooted in Jesus Christ, we're grounded in Wesleyan theology, we're inclusive of all persons and engaged in the work of justice and reconciliation. We're living into our vision and embodying our core values, which means that we're committed to creating a place at the table for everyone, including the LGBTQIA plus persons, and to listening more deeply to voices that have often been marginalized. The extended cabinet has created a statement of our commitments that speaks specifically to how we hold the value of LGBTQIA plus inclusion in this waiting season. We believe we are stronger and better together and even as we await general conference, we will continue living into our vision and embodying the values. We are not at a standstill. To be clear, according to the options of the bishop and cabinet, 
wherever General Conference 2020 takes place, in whatever year, if legislation is adopted through which the continuing United Methodist Church commits to the full inclusion of all persons, and, and the prohibition language in the Book of Discipline regarding LGBTQ plus persons is removed. This, this would align with our aspiration, visions, and the t intention is that the Methodist Minnesota United Conference would remain part of the United Methodist Church. And if General Conference does not make progress toward a fully inclusive church and ends in a stalemate, our expectation is that the Minnesota United Methodist Annual Conference will chart a new future with other like-minded Wesleyan theology, inclusive of all persons, and engage in the work of justice and reconciliation. The North Central Jurisdiction at its latest meeting adopted a covenant, a covenant to build better beloved community, which clergy have been mandated to attend by way of focus groups. We must remember that we as the Minnesota Annual Conference can decide what our future holds. Nothing about general conference meeting or not meeting prevents us from following the call of Jesus to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. And regardless of the outcome of the next general conference, we will be unwavering in our commitment to biblically-based and laser-focused on furthering Jesus' ministry of extending abundant life to all of God's children. And this extended liminal and lineal time does not change who we are as the Minnesota United Methodist Church and who we are in Christ. So as we look ahead and away general conference, let us live the way of Jesus, the way of Jesus with patience, with acceptance, with grace and understanding to one another. And let us focus on being the conference, the churches, the pastoral leaders, the and the disciples that we know were called to be. As we pray for the needs of those by way of television and YouTube and Facebook and other means, we will be faithful to John Wesley's quadrilateral triangle, which represents scriptural for scripture first, tradition second, reason and experience. Help us be faithful, Father, faithful to your word, diligent in our prayers, and courageous in sharing Jesus as you taught us all to pray and sing together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. At this time, we turn to Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13, as Mike makes his way up in response with the scripture. Luke talks about Jesus' temptation by, by Satan, just as Many of us are tempted of Satan too. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, 
returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where Jesus, for 40 days, he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those 40 days, and when they were over, Jesus was famished. The devil said to Jesus, If, that big word if, and Satan speaks to you and I each and every day, he always uses that word if, if, if you, as he did to Jesus, if you are the Son of God, command the stone to become a loaf of bread. And Jesus answered, Satan, it is written, one does not live by bread alone. And then the devil led him up and showed Jesus in, in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to Jesus, to you, I will give your glory and all my authority. For it has been given over to me, and I give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship, worship me, it will be yours. Jesus answered Satan, it is written, which we always need to answer Satan with the words, is it written? Worship the Lord your God, and serve the Lord your God, serve only him. And then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, if you, if, say it with me, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For is written, he will command his angels concerning you to protect you. Even as this morning I was praying for Chris, and my eyes fell on the scripture, and I said that we would be praying for his daughter, Michelle. Chris told me he's probably said and addressed his, his daughter as many times as Michelle by the name of Angel. He will command his angels concerning you to protect you. And on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered Satan and said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from Jesus until another opportune time. May God bless the reading of his holy word. Amen. Good morning, brothers and sisters. Um, I, I like the first point I that the, the devil said he used the word if. That very word requires at least a small measure of doubt. Anytime you say if, you mean it could go the other way. Our scripture today should remind us that the ability to even resist temptation comes only from having faith and relationship with God. Only He can provide the grace and deliverance from how we've sinned and gone astray. The devil tempted Jesus immediately following his baptism. Like in Adam's case, Satan tested Jesus with food when he asked Jesus to stir, turn the stones into bread so he could eat. The difference between Adam and Jesus was Satan had eaten for several days. Jesus turned the table on Satan because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. 
and Adam was basically an unarmed casualty of Satan. Adam didn't have the Holy Spirit in the Word of God to defend himself. And that affected all of us. I find it interesting that Jesus was in the wilderness. The Word says that Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days. 40 was a conventional term meaning many. It might have been 40 days. It might have been a little shorter. It might have been a little longer. But 40 meant many. It's noteworthy that the temptations Jesus faced are specifically mentioned in Matthew. But the book of Luke does not list the, the problems specifically. Something else noteworthy is almost half of Luke's gospel is on Jesus' journey to return to Jerusalem. Uh, chapter 9, verse 51 to chapter 19, verse 44, we're all on this trip back to Jerusalem. Also interesting here are three temptations that Satan gave Jesus. Although cunning and evil, Satan does not rank high on the originality. All he can do is report his failures. And we're susceptible to them if we don't use the word of God in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. The temptation to make bread in verse 2 through 4 is the temptation to trust God for sustenance. Then the temptation to gain the kingdom of the world by Jesus by worshiping the devil. This is now just Israel's temptation to worship other gods and Israel's failure trust God for sustenance in the wilderness. The temptation for Jesus to throw himself down from the pinnacle of the te temple, verse 9 through 12, was forcing God to protect him. It was really a temptation to test God. This is repeating Israel's testing of God at Massa and Moreva, where the people complained to Moses in Exodus 17, 3, why have you brought us out of Egypt to kill us, our children, and our livestock with thirst? If Jesus had succumbed to any of those temptations, it would have put Satan in the proverbial driver's seat, and Jesus' mission would have been, God forbid, I don't even like to say it, a failure. It was not a failure. Let God's word steadfastly flourish, flourish in yourself, for it is only... It's the only weapon we may use unerringly against Satan. When we use the word, Satan is absolutely powerless. When we have attacks, which may come in many different varieties, against ourselves and our spirits and our minds, when we use the word of God to combat that, the devil has to release has to back down. He cannot be around it. The final temptation of the devil used against Jesus according to the Bible. The devil knows the Bible. If you are the son of God, they went up to a pinnacle of the temple. And the devil started his sentence with if again. If you are, that's doubt. If you are the son of God, cast yourself down from here. For it is written, he will put his angels in charge you to guard you. 
on your hands, they will bear you up, lest perhaps you dash your foot against the stone. They had traveled to a high pinnacle of the temple. And since Jesus used scripture to counter the two temptations, the devil countered, delivered the third temptation in biblical language and quoted from Psalm 91, verse 11 and 12. That, coincidentally, is not a messianic psalm, a promise to protect the Messiah from harm, but it is a hymn of praise for the protection that God may afford to faith. Verse 13 is saying, admitting defeat temporarily. He broadcasts his frustration and basically tells Jesus, you just wait. I'll get you next time, which of course he won't, but he's got nothing he departed for a more opportune time. He didn't give up. Say will not give up. Despite his inability to achieve victory, he never surrenders. He doesn't know how bad he is, how damned he is, how permanently his defeat is. So he keeps trying to reach up and grab another taste of victory, which he'll never get. He'll be back in the attempt to draw us away from Christ. He will attack you again. It might be physical, it might be mental, it might be spiritual, but you can count on it. He can't win, but he never goes away unless we use the power and the word of Christ and the Holy Spirit. He will be back to attempt to draw us away from Christ. That's all he ever does, all he ever knows. It's all I ever can do. But we'll again suffer defeat, eventually, permanently, if we use the words of Jesus Christ to defeat him. In this way, he's a true glutton for punishment. Losing to Jesus Christ. He proved it in our scripture today, and he'll prove it in our own lives when we use the scripture in our Holy Spirit, the indwelling Holy Spirit to defeat him. And finally, when Jesus comes back and he's cast in the lake of fire, he can't win. But for right now, he's not going to go away. Thank you. Thank you, um, Mike. And Mike, if I could ask you to assist me, is, is, um, is Robin available? Where's Robin at? Okay. Robin, I'll probably make this presentation at the Olympic Church. Um, we'll probably also make this presentation next Sunday, but Mike, I want you to give this to Robin. It's a certificate. Be it known that Robin Larson has fulfilled the necessity requirements and hereby recognizes a certified lay speaker in the United Methodist Church. So we'll give that to you, Mike, and you'll make sure that um, Everybody here looks at it because Robin's busy up in the law tape taping. So, and then we'll acknowledge that. Let's give Robin a round of applause. Amen. What's that? Okay. You might want to give us a response. Tell us a little bit about it next Sunday. Next Sunday. And circulate that certificate around again that's quite an accomplishment 
really appreciate that, that Robin can represent Methodism. And I was part of the um, recommendation process and part of the, the um, video. And I believe he asked Robin some excellent questions and she gave some excellent answers. It's hard to imagine that um, 52 years ago, 52 years ago, Mike, you were hatched, or I mean, you were born, right? <laughs> and it was, um, like I mentioned earlier, it was 52 years ago in March that I had given, been given an opportunity to represent our country in a number of academies. At that time, congressmen endorsed certain candidates to Annapolis and West Point, Colorado Springs, and I was chosen the Air Force Academy because I wanted to fly. And um, I was going through the wavering process because even at that time, you know, I had some some challenges with my vision. Now you can get those those um, they're able to waver even um, um, LASIK surgery and all kinds of opportunities. But 52 years ago. Where's that? Where's that 52 years gone? Well, in, in our scripture reading, the first event, the first event recorded in our Lord's history after, after his baptism is this temptation, is a temptation by the devil, the devil. Temptations that you and I experience too. And from a season of honor and glory, Jesus passed immediately to a season of conflict and suffering. And, you know, we've been in those seasons, se sessions and seasons when we experience um, the glory of those mountaintop experiences and then we experience conflict and suffering. I want to mention that um, our beloved administrative board chairperson is Kathy is going through some back struggles, keep Kathy Gross and Gary in your thoughts and prayers also. First came the testimony of God the Father, thou art my beloved son. Then came the, the sneering suggestion of Satan, if thou art the son of God, doubt, in the portion of Christ will often prove to be the portion of Christians as the portion of us, Christ is the portion of you and I. From great privilege to a great trial, there will often be just but a step, just a step. Well, let us first mark in this passage the power, the power and the unwavering malice of the devil, the devil. That old serpent who tempted Adam to sin in paradise was not afraid to assault the second Adam, the Son of God. Whether he understood that Jesus was, and it's questionable in theological circles, whether Satan understood that Jesus was God manifest in the flesh, may perhaps be doubted. But that he saw in Jesus the one who had come into the world to 
overthrow or challenge his kingdom because Satan is a fallen angel or demon. It's, the earth is his kingdom. It's very clear, it's very plain. He had seen what had happened at our Lord's baptism. Satan had heard the marvelous, marvelous words from heaven. He felt that the great friend of man was come and that his own dominion here upon earth was in peril. The Redeemer had come, the prison doors were about to be thrown open, the lawful captives were about to be set free. And all this we need not doubt, Satan saw and, and resolved to fight for his own kingdom here upon earth. In the prince of this world, the prince of this world would not give way to the prince of peace without a mighty struggle. He had overcome the first Adam in the Garden of Eden, and why should he not overcome the second Adam in the wilderness? He had spoiled man once in paradise. Why should he not spoil humanity in the kingdom of God? And let it never surprise us if we are tempted by the devil. Let us rather expect it as a matter of course if we are to be living members of Christ. The master's lot will be the uh, lot of his disciples, his disciples, his followers. That mighty spirit who did not fear to attack Jesus himself is still going about as a roaring lion, a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That murderer, Satan, that liar, Satan, who vexed Job, overthrew David and Peter, still is and is not yet bound. If he cannot rob us of heaven, he will always and at any rate make our journey here upon earth painful. If he cannot destroy our souls, he will at least bruise our heels, according to Genesis chapter 3, 5. And let us behave and beware of despising him or thinking lightly of his power. Let us rather put on the whole armor of God and cry to be strong, to be strengthened. According to James chapter 4, verse 7, resist the devil. Resist the devil and he will flee from us. And let us mark, secondly, our Lord Jesus Christ's ability. Jesus Christ's ability to sympathize with those who are tempted. Jesus Christ. This is a truth that stands out prominently in this passage. Jesus has been and is really and literally tempted himself. It was meet that by he who came to destroy, to destroy the works of the devil, should begin his own work by a spiritual conflict with Satan. It was meet that the great shepherd and bishop of our souls should be fitted for his earthly ministry by a strong temptation, and well as by the word of God in prayer. But above all, 
It was meet that this great high priest and this advocate of sinners such as you and I should be one who had a personal experience of conflict and personal experience with Satan and has known what it is to be in the fire. I think such examples as our treasurer Tina who's gone through many fires, struggles with health and healing. This was the case with Jesus. It, it is written that he suffered being tempted, according to Hebrews chapter 2, 18. How much he suffered, we cannot tell, but that his pure and his spotless nature did suffer intensely, we may be sure. And let all true Christians take comfort in the thought that they have a friend. You and I, we have a friend in heaven who, who can be touched with the feelings, with the feelings of our infirmities. When they pour out their hearts before the throne of grace and they, they groan under the burdens that harass them, there is one making intercession who knows their sorrows, their sorrows. And let us take advantage the Lord Jesus is not an austere person. He knows what we mean when we complain of temptations, and he is both able and willing to give us help. And let us mark thirdly the exceeding subtlety, the subtlety of our great spiritual enemy, the devil. Three times, not once, not twice, but three times. Three times we see him assaulting our Lord and trying to draw him into sin. Each, each of the assaults showed the hand of a master in the art of temptation. Each assault was the work of one acquainted by long experience with every weak point in human nature. Each deserves an attentive study. Satan's first device was to persuade our Lord to distrust to distrust our, our father's providential care. He comes to him when weak and exhausted with 40 days hunger and suggests to him to work a miracle in order to gratify, gratify a carnal, carnal appetite. Why should he wait when he's hungry? Why should he wait any longer? Why should the son of God sit still and, and starve? Why not command the stone, stone to become bread? Go to your local target and grab some of the fresh bread. But sec Satan's second device was to persuade our Lord to, to grasp at worldly power by an unlawful means. He takes him to the top of a mountain and and he shows him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. All those he, he promised to Jesus if Jesus would but fall down and worship him. The concession was small. The promise was large. Why not but by, by a little momentary act obtain an enormous gain? Satan's last device was to persuade our Lord to an act of presumption. 
presumption. He takes him to a pinnacle of the temple and he suggests to him to cast himself down. And by so doing, he would give public proof that he was sent, sent by God. And in so doing, he might even depend on, on being kept from harm. I've skydived a number of times and I, I've always wondered what it was like, would be like to die if a chute would not open. Would I ricochet on the ground? It's interesting, oftentimes when we are on a high place and we ask ourselves, you know, what would happen if we trip and fall? I think we've all been kind of questioned at times by Satan. When we drive our cars and we're only, we meet another car and we're only like 18 inches apart or so, what it would be like to be involved in an accident and survive or not survive. On each of these three temptations, it would be easy to, to write much. Would it be sufficient to remind ourselves that we see in them the three favorite weapons of the devil? Weapons of the devil. And we could spend years on each of these three unbelief, worldliness and presumption are three of these grand engines which, which he is ever working against our souls but by which he is enticing us enticing us to do what God forbids and to, to run into sin let us remember this and always be on guard be on guard the acts that Satan suggests to us to do are often in appearance very trifling and very unimportant. But the principle involved in each of these little acts, we may be sure, is nothing short of rebellion against God. Let us not be ignorant of Satan's devices. In a few moments, you're going to be invited to come participate in Holy Communion. There are thoughts that will go through your mind. Satan may be challenging you. But let us mark that we should never be ignorant of Satan's devices. Let us think lastly of the manner in which our Lord, our Lord resisted Satan's temptations. Three times we see him foiling and baffling the great enemy who assaulted him. Jesus does not yield a hair's breadth to Satan. Jesus does not give Satan a moment's advantage. Three times we see him saying and using the same weapon in reply to his temptations. According to Ephesians chapter 6, 17, the sword. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Jesus, who was full of the Holy Ghost, was yet not ashamed to make the Holy Scriptures his weapon of defense and his rule of action. 
Let us learn from this single fact that if we learn anything else from this wondrous, wondrous story of Scripture today, the high authority, which I believe many denominations and churches have fallen prey to, the high authority of the Bible. The Bible is our high authority. It gives us the marching orders and the immense value of the knowledge of its contents. Let us read it. Let us read it. Let us search into it. Let us pray over it. Let us be diligent. Let us persevere. Let us be unwary. Let us strive to be so thoroughly acquainted with its pages that its text may abide in our memories and in our hearts and stand ready at our right hand in the day of our need. Let us be able to appeal from every perversion and, and false interpretation of its meaning to those thousands, those thousand plain passages which are written, as it were, with a sunbeam. The Bible is indeed a sword, indeed a sword, but we must take heed that we know, we know it well, if we would use it with effect. Father, this morning as we prepare for Holy Communion within the United Methodist Church, there are a few things that we as United Methodists believe, but we believe that, that the clergy, the governing deacons and elders are, are only granted that service of blessing the elements and participating in that communion. We thank you for those high standards within the Methodist Church, but we come against other standards that seem to be belittled, scriptural authority on sexual behavior and other aspects of life. We pray that as we come and prepare, we may be repentant, that we may spend as much time at the altar as we would like. Either we can pick up pick up our communion elements and go back and open them up as they turn the first, first lap as cellophane, clear plastic, and then to get the bread, which represents the body of Christ or the cellophane. The second one, which produces the grape juice, the blood of Christ. May, may we pray together as we prepare. Dear Jesus, bless these elements which represent your body broken for us, your blood shed for us. We come repenting, asking your discernment for the times we live in. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would turn with me in your United Methodist hymnals to the preface, the pages 9 through 11, please. These are preparatory 
statements that you view as a combination of the merger of the EUB and the Methodist Church in 1968 and use the joint communion service of repentance and restoration. Pages 9 to 11. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and a joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. You formed us in your image and breathed into us the breath of life. When we turned away and our love failed, your love remained steadfast. You delivered us from captivity, made covenant to be our sovereign God, and spoke to us through your prophets. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join in their unending hymn. is your son Jesus Christ, your spirit anointed him to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to announce that the time had come when he would save your people. Jesus healed the sick, fed the hungry, and ate the sinners. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, he gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the spirit. And when the Lord Jesus ascended. He promised to be with us always in the power of your word and Holy Spirit. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, Jesus took bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, Take, hey, this is my body which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when, he, when the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. He died. Christ is risen. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on the gifts of bread and wine Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ. Redeemed by his blood, by your spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world, until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit, in your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, Father Almighty, now and forevermore. Amen. And at this time... If you'd like to come, take as much time at the altar as you would like, because there is one loaf. We who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one loaf. The bread which we break is in sharing in the body of Christ. And the cup over which we give thanks is a sharing in the blood of Christ. The body of Christ given to you. Amen. The blood of Christ given for you. Amen. Come. Come and kneel. You may either choose to kneel or you may so choose to stand. And I want to mention there are those who I administer communion um, in their homes or 
alternate places, places in the church during the week. If you um, are concerned about about coming out or whatever, uh, let me know, and we can certainly serve you in the homes as we do many. His body, which is given for you, his blood, which is given for you. You may take of the communion elements. The first little tab is a clear tab, a clear tab to get to the bread, the unleavened bread. The second tab is to get to the wine. It's a little tricky. If you think it's tricky now, imagine a number of years ago on the battlefields where men's fingers were frozen and and bitter, and they tried to open these small containers that were um, were proven to be um, very successful on the battlefield. So as you partake of the, the bread of life, partake together the, the bread, which represents the body of Christ, which is broken for you, and the grape juice, which represents the blood of Christ, which is shed for the forgiveness of your sins, his body and his blood. Spend as much time as you would like at the altar, and you may return when you feel you've had ample enough time with the Lord. Our sermon title today was The Temptation of Jesus. May as you partake of the body and blood of Christ, may you be strengthened in your message, in your ministry, and in your walk with the Lord as you are tempted of Satan. We pray for those who are with us by way of television and YouTube, all means of communication, that they would be strengthened and inspired. We consider it a real privilege to be selected and chosen to represent Christianity by our television station. Notify our television station and support as they support us, we support you in our thoughts and our prayers. You may arise now and go in peace. And may the grace and the peace and the power of God's Holy Spirit embolden you to service as you serve God and Christ. And as we bring closure to our communion service, you'll want to turn to Page number 11, as we prepare for our offering, and on page number 11, you'll find a sending forth prayer. And if you'd be so kind to pray this prayer with me and on page 11, on page 11. Eternal God, we give you thanks for this holy mystery in which you have given yourself to us. Grant that we may go into the world in the strength of your spirit, to give ourselves for others. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen. As the ushers come forward, let us turn to our offertory prayer. We are grateful for those um, who pray for us regularly. And your prayers and presence, your financial gifts are, are critical in this time. Let us pray the offertory prayer printed in our bulletins. Mighty God, as we remember the strength of Jesus, Facing the temptation offered by the devil, we remember too clearly how the temptations of food, of authority, 
and power have overcome us. We've been tricked to believe our wants, our needs, and more is always better. May we offer our gifts to you this day with generosity and gratitude. Strengthen us to resist temptation that would present security or power in anyone but you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Jesus walked this lonesome valley. You'll find that in answer to the honor and glory of God and the birthdays of, of Mike and Katie. Our answer, please. Larson on the phone on the count of three. I want you all to say, Go, Michelle. One, two, three. Go, Michelle. Father, we do pray for the Larson family. We pray especially for Michelle as the doctors have given her a diagnosis that her kidneys are shutting down due to her cancer. We pray, Father, that you continue to have your hand of healing upon her, strengthen Chris to now may the grace and the peace of power of the Holy Spirit, that holy God of light and overcoming darkness and death, as we offer our tithes and our offerings to you this morning, we pray that we may give the confidence and the assurance of those.
fully can endure the promise of Jesus Christ's healing and restoration. Help us to experience the generosity of those who have no need to hold back or hedge out our bets. May we live our days giving freely with love and grace, not as those who have the hope of salvation, but the promise, the promise of salvation. In Christ we pray. Amen. Blessings upon you, Chris. Any closing comments? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday.